This is the Education Exchange with Paul Peterson. I am the senior editor at Education Next. Thank you for joining us. With one state after another adopting Common Core or something very close to Common Core, it was time to change the school curricula and change the school textbooks in order to meet the new standards. Publishers came out with new texts. Other publishers came out with revisions to their existing texts. And the world changed. Now, had these changes made a difference? An early study that looked at textbooks before Common Core came along found out that in math, a change of textbook could make a big difference. But that was just one study, and that didn't involve Common Core. But still, we might say it's the teacher that counts, not the textbook. So it's not altogether clear, but this past week, we got some new information on this when the Center on Education Policy Research at the Harvard Graduate School of Education released a study that looked at the impact of mathematics texts on student learning in six states. The results are discouraging, but I'll leave that to our author to tell you. I don't want to pass on discouraging news myself. <laughs> so I have with me today Thomas Kane. Director of the Center on Education Policy Research at the Harvard Graduate School of Education. Thank you, Tom, for joining me on the Education Exchange. Thanks, Paul. I, I don't enjoy sharing discouraging news either, but, but that's what we found. Well, Tom, this is a very large and impressive undertaking. You're looking at this intervention at uh, some considerable scale. Um, in what six states did you do your study? So we started out with two states that were collecting textbook data as just part of their in the data that the state collected from schools. So that was California and New Mexico. We had four other states um, which didn't collect uh, data on textbooks, and so we had to survey the schools in the states, and those were Washington, Louisiana, Maryland, and New Jersey. All six of those states were using either the park assessment or, or actually Louisiana was using something like a, a park-like assessment and, or the smarter balanced assessment, both of which were aligned to the Common Core. So the six states all had something out there that said, we want students to be taught something like the Common Core, right. or the Common Core, right. quite specifically. And very few states, the, the ironic thing is very few states even collect data on which textbooks schools are using, um, uh, which I think is a, a problem which has inhibited research in this area. Well, so, Tom, why did you take undertake this study in the first <laughs> place? I mean, textbooks is not the hottest issue out there. What, Donald Trump has had nothing to do with textbooks. <laughs> why did you study textbooks? So the reason why we focused on it was, as you mentioned before, there were some promising studies, including um, some randomized controlled trials that suggested you could get substantial gains in achievement um, just by switching textbooks. And Paul, as, as you know, but um, maybe some of your listeners don't, I, I've worked on some controversial things recently, like teacher evaluation and, and charter schools. And I was sort of hoping for a non-controversial you know, topic uh, where we could see um, substantial gains. And textbooks seem like one where, um, based on the earlier evidence, 
seemed like there was a lot of promise there. Yeah, well, and, and you can easily change a textbook. I mean, it, it's, it's not like it's, a, it's just like falling off a log, but actually, if you're willing to put out some money and you can bring a new book into the... I changed t- textbooks in my classes, so I guess you could t- change textbooks uh, in a school system. Uh, it's a lot easier than t- changing a teacher. Well, it, so that's what we were thinking at, at the beginning, and that's what the earlier research had suggested. What I think now um, in, is a partial, you know, maybe would explain the fact that we did not find substantial differences. Well, I didn't ask you that question. <laughs> Sorry, I'm so getting ahead let of us, myself. <laughs> let us, first of all, document that fact. What, yes. Is it true you didn't find any effects anywhere? So, Paul, remember, we went into this expecting that we were going to find differences. And, um, and so we spent months looking for the data error um, that was explaining why we did not, weren't seeing differences in student achievement gains by uh, textbook. Um, and we eventually convinced ourselves that there was nothing there. Occasionally, we would find in one state or another a, a couple of texts that looked like, you know, um, they might be more effective, but the results were not consistent across states. Um, so, um, so we ended up walking away, having convinced ourselves that um, there was no evidence of substantial differences in student achievement gains by textbook. Now, I'm confident that, that we didn't see anything like the, what the prior research suggested would be there. It's possible that there are smaller differences that we just didn't have the power to detect, but, um, but um, we didn't see substantial differences. Well, the, the previous study gain. that I think you're alluding to uh, that has a randomized trial, I think uh, they might argue against you, well, you, you didn't have a randomized trial right. here. So what did you do to so, get as close to a randomized yeah. trial as possible? So, so first let me explain what we did, and then um, I, I realize it's a little bit of, of you know, um, uh, 2020 hindsight vision, but, I, you know, one possible explanation why a randomized trial might not be the ideal way to answer this question. So um, what we did was we um, got student-level data from each of these six states, and we merged it with the data that we had on which textbooks uh, elementary schools were using in fourth and fifth grade. And then we estimated um, essentially value-added models where we controlled for students' baseline achievement and then asked, you know, among students with similar baseline achievement, did the schools that were using one textbook have better um, achievement at the end of the year than similar students using a different textbook? Now, that approach, that value-added approach, has been shown in other areas to yield un- unbiased estimates. Well, of I think the your effects. own research on yes. teachers has yeah. shown that you get pretty much the same effects if you do a randomized trial or if you do something that's uh, along the lines of what you're doing in this study. Right. So, so um, that's why we were, we were expecting that this approach were gonna, was going to lead to s- approximate what we would have gotten from a randomized trial. The other things that we did was we, we realized that we had 
we watched some schools switch textbooks, which we thought might be helpful for identifying um, effects. Well, that's Short ideal, actually, trial. right? You know, because, okay, it's the same people, and now they were using right. one textbook, uh, right. and they had used a different textbook previously. Right. Now, it turns out um, that once we collected the data, we there were not a we didn't have a huge number of schools that did switch textbooks. When we looked at, at the switchers, we didn't see anything different, uh, but it could be that, um, that in order to really identify these effects with the switchers, uh, you needed a much larger sample that, than we had. But now, so we found no uh, substantial differences by textbook. The prior research was based on a randomized controlled trial. Um, now, here's one of the issues that, um, when you think about it, uh, um, is an important challenge for a randomized controlled trial. Not every school is willing to have their textbook randomly assigned. You know, and so, in fact, in this earlier study, only 2.5% of the schools that they approached with this idea. I see. So this could be a very selective group of unusually talented people eager to learn the truth of the matter and therefore is not representative of everybody out there. Or it's schools that are particularly desperate uh, uh, because you know they're willing <laughs> to even have a randomly assigned textbook than whatever the textbook is that they're using. And we saw some evidence, there is some evidence in that earlier study that the schools were drawn from the, uh, had teachers with unusually weak um, content knowledge in, in math. Well, are your schools representative of the states in which they're selected? Right. So that's the, the, the advantage of our approach is that we don't have to be limited to um, the schools that were willing to participate in a randomized trial. The advantage of our approach was that we, we do have a representative sample in these six states. Um, and so, you know, we could look at if you believe that the value added method gets you about the same answer as a randomized trial, that what, what we got was an estimate um, for that a representative sample of schools and states. Now, it could be um, that. You know, these value-added uh, methods um, in these six states, you know, were biased in some way. It could be that the schools um, differed in ways that we weren't able to control. I would point out, though, it would be a weird, an unusual um, form of bias because it would have to be offsetting the textbook effic efficacy effects so that it would have to be that the that the schools that were using the more effective text were unobservably weak in terms of their growth rates. And the schools that were using um, the least effective text were unobservably strong in their observance. Yeah, yeah. So, one, so, one would think that the, if I'd be more concerned about this bias if, if you had found it, some effects right. than when you exactly. not find effects. Now, however, there is a Nevada study out there that looked at a, a, a text called Math and Focus, which yes. uses the Singamore, Singapore approach, which uh, is sort of old-fashioned. And they did find uh, positive effects, randomized trial yes. on the Stanford Achievement. Still, this Singapore approach might be 
better than any of these new approaches, uh, and that's the difference. Now, did you actually look at math and focus in we this did. study? We so, did. So the, at least the the new edition of math and focus was one of the the textbooks that we were looking at, and we did not find um, that it was more effective than the others. Um, so um, again, it could be, by the way, so so I was speculating before about this, the reasons why our results were different from the earlier literature. Um, one of the reasons was, uh, you know, there could have been bias in our value-added um, methods relative to randomized control trial might be a better way to estimate the efficacy of a text. That would be unusual because the biases would have to be offsetting the textbook efficacy um, is possible. Another possibility is that, um, that the schools that were willing to participate in a randomized control trial are, are different. They're particularly desperate, um, right. particularly unhappy right. with whatever they have. But a third, um, a, a third reason would be that it could be that the, just the common core texts now differ less than the old texts uh, before. Um, so we now know how to do a textbook, and the textbooks are all as good as you can expect, and you might as well flip a coin. Well, there might be just— they're about the same. <laughs> well, it, I'm not saying—I'm saying this is one possible explanation. Um, it, it, it could be that be, there's less variation, at least in the standards they're yeah, But are the teachers actually using the textbook? Well, What's your evidence on that? So—, um, so this is an is another possible explanation for what we're finding, although it doesn't explain the old uh, reconcile our differences with the old literature because I don't think there's any evidence that teachers were using the text more before than they were now. But we we saw that about ninety three percent of teachers reported using the text for some purpose. Yeah, in, um, but in for more some than half. Exactly. Yeah, but for some purpose. Exactly. But how right. many of them are really using yes. on a day-to-day -day basis so, in the classroom? So, so you're exactly the 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 thing you're pointing to is I think is really important that only about 25 percent of teachers reported using the text in nearly every lesson for the essential purposes of choosing class examples. Um, for them to present, assigning student work to do in class, assigning homework, and building assessments. So only a quarter of teachers said they were using the textbook nearly all the time for all four of those purposes. So it gets to be a challenge for a textbook to make a difference if it's only got a one in four chance of being used in the way the guy and gals who wrote the textbook expected it to be used. Right. And I, I actually think, uh, so So for the folks who were firm believers in curriculum, um, that's likely to be the interpretation they're going to want to put on our findings is that, well, of course, teachers were, um, were, were rarely using the text, and that's why you weren't finding effects, or they weren't using the text um, with fidelity. Here's the problem, though, that, that I would say back is, okay, if that's true, then there clearly aren't a lot of p 
people out there who have figured out how to use the textbook with fidelity because even when we look at that half of schools with above average um, levels of usage, we didn't see any differences there. So the challenge is, the challenge for the, um, the curriculum is key crowd, I think is to, is to be able to show what does it take to get teachers to use the textbook with greater fidelity? And number two, do the differences show up when they start to do that? Now, of course, when you start to go down that road, you get back into the expensive and controversial things <laughs> that, that we were you know, talking about before in, in that like it's about managing the work that teachers are doing in, in classrooms every day. And it's not just about just you know, buying a new textbook and hoping for the best. Uh, so I just released a study uh, where we concluded that if we're going to improve American education, we've got to change the teaching profession. We've got to get higher quality teachers because the teacher is everything. Does this study lead you to think that the teacher is the central figure in our educational system? And really, we should be focusing on our, our efforts on making sure we have the highest quality teachers possible? So, I, so Paul, as you know, like I've spent a big part of my career focused on trying to improve the quality of teacher evaluation, you know, teacher recruitment, and, and so forth. Um, so it's, it was particularly ironic that I and some of my co-authors needed to be reminded that teachers, there was a huge variability in, the, in teachers' ability to use these texts. But I actually think, um, you know, my, my own gut feeling, and I don't have a, you know, I don't have strong evidence to, to um, uh, uh, you know, in, in support of this, but I, I think it is a plausible interpretation of what we found, is that um, it's not either or. It's not either curriculum or teachers. It's, you can't get the benefits of one without the other. That, that. Okay, Just, you're telling me it's like love and marriage. They, <laughs> they, they go together like a horse and carriage. Well, or that what I'm trying to say is, is that if you're going to, to, get the, to get the most out of a high-quality curriculum, you need to be able to um, identify ways to get teachers to actually change their practice in classrooms. Now... I would argue that's going to be an, an essential part of that is like in, including, you know, use of textbook into one of the things that you evaluate teachers, you know, on. Um, and, you know, of course, it's likely to also involve some PD and in, in training. Now, I have seen the research on the impact of PD and training. Yeah, it generally so, shows that you don't get any benefits from right. it. So it would have to be, you it's know, got to be better. We, we yeah, PD we've got to identify. We've got to identify the models. I mean, that for me, the big, the two big questions, the two big next steps in this field. One is to identify the models of teacher training and teacher supervision and teacher evaluation, which get teachers to hew more closely to the curricula. 
Number okay, two. Okay, so I'm going to yeah. ask you this final question, Tom. I want yeah. to know, but I want your gut feeling. I want your gut feeling because you've looked at all of these textbooks you've looked at in six states, you and your colleagues. Uh, you have done more work on this. I'm a superintendent, and I've got a very big problem for next year. I need to buy a new math textbook. Yeah. Which textbook should I buy? So here would be the advice I would give. I would say go to Ed Reports and one of, and one of the other rating services and identify, if you're in a Common Core state, that is, identify a text that um, is most highly aligned and most highly rated by one of the reputable rating um, services. But I would, I would caution you to recognize that that is not going to be enough, that you're going to have to have a strategy. You can't just roll out the new textbook the way you've rolled out textbooks before. You've got to have some kind of strategy for how you're going to encourage teachers to actually change their practice to reflect the well, new here text. Here I thought you were going to say, buy the cheapest one. Well, <laughs> it could be. Well, I think the point is alignment isn't all that correlated with cost. So, so there, in fact, there are some open um, source, you know, textbooks among the most aligned texts that are, you know, uh, quite And you show that they're as effective as the others. Well, they're, they're not it, Maybe less you're effective. making a case for open source here. <laughs> well, I, I'd be more eager to make that case if I had evidence that school districts knew how to use the cost savings to drive, you know, improvements in instruction. And, and to me, that is the big question is like, is what, what is the minimum required of school districts when they're implementing a new curriculum in terms of teacher supports and, you know, in, incorporation into teacher evaluations? that will actually generate the changes in classroom practice that that the new curricula require. Well, this is a very important study that you have uh, produced here, uh, Tom. It's, it's one that is discouraging, but nonetheless, we want to know the truth with respect to these issues. And so I'm very grateful that you've shared this with all of us. So thank you for joining me on the Education Exchange. Great. Thank you, Paul. I and was, I, ho I hope to come back with more encouraging news on some other questions. Oh, I'm <laughs> sure you will, because uh, you're producing incredible material all the time. I've been speaking with Tom Kane, director of the Center on Education Policy Research at the Harvard Graduate School of Education. Thank you, Tom, for joining me on the Education Exchange. I am Paul Peterson. This is the Education Exchange. Please join me for a new Education Exchange podcast released on the Education Next website every Monday at noon Eastern time. Thanks, Paul.